I, be, I for me, picked one of the books that Paul wrote, one of the epistles that for me best demonstrates in his teaching to them what a community of the Pentecost might look like. 1 Thessalonians is probably my favorite epistle. In that particular epistle, God has used much of that teaching to reflect my call as a pastor. And so I'm going to begin a series this morning that will carry on Oh, I guess I better turn it on. They'll be panicking up there. I'm going to begin a series this morning, which I've entitled Finding Hope in a Seamlessly Seeming Hopeless World. I don't know about you, but if you have been uh, in touch with the news media as I have, our world is in a lot of trouble. It is going in directions that are just so confusing and it almost becomes disjointed. I actually was watching a basketball game the other night, and in the midst of the basketball game, there was a, an advertisement came on by an atheist, and he was trying to raise funds for atheism. And at the end of his commercial, he said, and I'm one who's happy going to hell. How confusing is that? How has our world become a place that we no longer see or feel or sense the one who created all things, the one who said, let there be light, the one who gave us breath, the one who knew us before we were even in our mother's womb? Why is he being forgotten? I... I I go to sleep at night wondering why the people don't understand. But that's not new. That's not new. Finding hope in a seemingly hopeless world. You know, I love that word hope. I really do. There's, there's so much abundance about it. We often use the term, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? I just think hope is always full. Hope is always a wonderful thing. In, the, in our letter this morning, in the introduction that we read this morning, that Dell read for us, is uh, the epistle of Paul speaking to the church, the early church, the young church at Thessalonica. Paul and Tylus and Timothy uh, had been there for about three weeks, and each Saturday... Uh, Paul would speak in the, sung, sung, in the synagogue uh, proclaiming Jesus the Messiah. And some loved him, many disliked him. As a matter of fact, after three weeks, he was chased out of town. The riots became so vicious that the Christian community helped, we need to help you get out of town and he moved on from Thessalonica to Berea. But I want to say to you in this first little simple verses, three verses, Paul sets the theology for a community 
of the Pentecost. He sets his theology in a very simple way for the church or the community of the Pentecost. We need to understand that this community was kind of unique. It was made up of Greeks, and it was made up of Jewish. And so there's, there was this twin combination. Twins, twins are an exciting thing. Some of you probably have twins in your family. Some of you may even be a twin. My brother Dennis and his wife Shelley uh, have a twin son and daughter. They're, they're twins, and he has often said to me, um, he's often said to me, it's amazing to me how they know what each of them are going to think before they even say it. There's this kind of connection between them that is really hard for me to understand. I read this story about a, a, a twin girls, Brill and Carrie. These two girls were born 12 weeks premature, and they were placed in incubators at the natal intensive care unit in the hospital. After a few days, Brill, who weighed just two pounds, was struggling. Her heart rate was down, her face was blue, as her oxygen level decreased from all the crying. Carrie, on the other hand, was growing. This particular nurse who was looking after that unit decided to try to do something that really wasn't popular or really even given permission in the unit. She went to the parents and said, do you think that I can put both of your girls in the, in the same incubator? And the parents said, sure, that would be fine. She, <coughs> she did so and returned to the girls 10 or 15 minutes later, and she was surprised that Carrie had actually placed her arm around her twin sister as if to give her strength. And Brielle had stopped crying. Her heart rate was back to normal. Her oxygen level was normal. She was so caught by that picture that she called the rest of her peers, the other nurses of the unit, they came together and they took a picture of this set of twins, one with the arm wrapped around the other. And they made, they framed it, and they put it in the ICU unit under this caption, a rescuing hug. A rescuing hug. What, what a special picture. I want to talk to you this morning from our passage about four twin truths that Paul speaks about in these simple three verses that really set the foundation for a church or a community that wants to begin to look like, behave like, and be seen as a community of the Pentecost. The first of these is found in, in, chapter two, in verse 2 when Paul says, grace and peace to you. The name of these two twins is Grace and Peace. Well, what's the practical lesson just by looking at those two words? I suggest you, you'll never have inner peace 
until you experience God's grace. You will never have inner, true inner peace until you experience God's grace. Those are the twin truths that Paul is suggesting. Now, you might say, well, he's just talking about combining the two customs. You see, a Greek in those days, in, a, a Greek person would greet another person with this word, grace to you, which really means happiness to you, goodness to you. We use something similar in our culture, and we say, good morning, good day, good evening. And of course, the, the Jewish people in that culture would use shalom, which means peace, peace to you. But that's not what Paul was trying to set here. He was trying to illustrate by joining th those two words and making them the greeting of people of the way. That's what the first Christians were called, people of the way, people of the followers of Jesus. And he, in two words, wanted to ignite a theology for these two communities, these two cultures that did not get along. And so he was not talking about happiness to you or peace to you. He was demonstrating grace and peace to you. And those two words, those twin words, had a tremendous amount of reality to them. He was beginning to introduce to them, just as I've shared with you, that you cannot enjoy God's peace until you experience his salvation. You can never enjoy God's peace until you experience God's grace. Why don't you take a moment this morning and greet one another like the people of the way did. Turn to your neighbor and say, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. We need to understand in this, uh, any mother who's have, who has had twins or, uh, or we, we know of twins, one always must come first and then the second one. I'm not sure if anyone can tell me where they both kind of rushed out of this comfortable womb together. They always came one after the other. Of course, the most famous twins in the Bible are, are Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first and Jacob was born second. This is also true of our biblical truths, of our biblical twins. One must always come before the other. Never do you see in Paul writing, giving greetings to the church of Christ in the early days in this fashion. Peace and grace to you. It was always grace and peace to you. You must understand grace before you will understand God's peace. The second of these twin truths I'm talking about is found in Paul's words, your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Oh, I'm way ahead of myself. That's okay. You'll get it. Your work produced by faith. What's our lesson? God's good works 
are always the product of a living faith. Good works are always the product of a living faith. And just like birth twins, one must come first and then the other. There's been a raging debate for generations, even centuries, about how one gets to the heaven, by works or by faith. It's been a a debate that continues and always has been around. Sometimes it's a friendly debate, like in our seminaries. Sometimes it's not so friendly. As a matter of fact, Christians have killed other Christians over this very debate about works and faith. The Catholic Church of the day, which was, uh, had rule over the Roman Empire, got their priorities quite wrong. They began to teach in the faith or in the Christian view from Catholicism in those days that charity and giving money were important. As a matter of fact, you needed to give your charity and you needed to give your money to the church. And when you did so, the church then would guarantee your salvation. In those days, it was called uh, indulgences, where if you wanted to really get to heaven, you would just give to the church, you would work for the church, and your salvation would be guaranteed. Thank goodness there were a few German priests, one of them the name Martin Luther, who said, that's not right. He began to read the Bible for himself. And he became so convicted that he wrote 95 objections to the church of the Catholic Church and stapled it on his church, called the 95 Theses. And the Protestant Reformation then took hold. And what was the cry of Martin Luther and his fellow priests? It was this, sola fide, faith alone. And their second cry was sola scriptura, the scriptures only. You could hear Martin Luther and his other uh, compatriots cry out, Why should we listen to what the Pope has said? We have a better guide. It is the Word of God. We have a better guide. It is the Word of God. And they began to cry that out, and the Protestant Reformation took hold like a flame as it began to grow across the early ages. But you need to understand the opposite extreme to working for your salvation can also be wrong. It can be often lead a person to say, faith is all that matters. Just believe in Jesus. Go ahead and ignore the hurting people and the disenfranchised around you. Just believe in Jesus. Go ahead and sin. Live your lifestyle. It's okay. Just believe in Jesus. And at the end of the day, Jesus will make everything okay. Paul clearly began to identify that that is a false truth. That is a false truth. 
believing alone in Jesus. You see, what he was saying to many of these people, sure, you accept the fact that there's God. You accept the fact that there was Jesus. You have that men mental intellect to know that, and you agree with it. But that won't save you. Just having knowledge of Jesus, just having knowledge of God is not enough for you to be saved because your faith must come first, and that faith must result in evidence. When we love Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to act in our life in such a way that people can begin to see that we're believers. James, the brother of Jesus, had a lot to say about that. James, of course, was a half-brother to Jesus. They shared the same mother, but they had different fathers. <laughs> Excuse me. James' father, of course, was Joseph, and Jesus' father, of course, was God the Father. And James, in his writings in chapter 2, he wrote this to the Jewish people of the day that claimed to believe, but their works, their faith didn't result in works. James wrote the words to correct their faulty attitude. As the whole, as the whole body without the spirit of Christ is dead, so faith without works is dead. It's dead as a doornail. It gets you nowhere. It takes you nowhere. James is saying this, and let me paraphrase, because in this day it might sound something like this. James is saying, if you truly know my brother Jesus, you're going to be so busy doing good works that, that, that <laughs> I'm sorry, let me get that again. Be if you truly know my brother Jesus, you are going to be so busy doing good works that come, that come because of your faith that it will appear to others that you're trying to earn your salvation. You get it? If you really know my brother, if you really know Jesus, you will begin to do things because you love him and people around you will actually start to believe maybe you're doing it for your salvation but you're doing it because of your salvation. Because of God's grace. W.C. Fields uh, was a comedian film star in the 20th century, and he was well-known and had a reputation for living a wicked lifestyle. One of his friends visited Fields in the hospital uh, a few weeks before he died, and to the surprise, the friend saw him reading the Bible. And he looked at Fields and he says, you're reading the Bible? And Fields responded to him, yeah, I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for a shortcut. There is no shortcut to salvation. There is only one way to salvation, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And there is no other. There are no shortcuts we can take. We can read this book as the rest of our lives, and it will never show us a shortcut will never show us a shortcut. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. But just, being a, just knowing Jesus in your head is not enough. You must know Jesus in your heart. 
He must become part of your life. And that when he comes part of our life, as Rita so rightly said this morning, he said, I will send you a helper, and that helper will turn you into a person of good works. It will turn you into a person of good works. Faith and works are twin truths, and they can't be separated, and faith must become before works, because you can work and work and work and still go to hell. But if you're working for Jesus, if you're working for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit indwells you, people will think, man, these guys are working so hard, surely they're going to get to heaven. But you're doing it for Christ. Third twin. The third twin statement. Your labor prompted by love. These twins' names are love and service. Or labor. What's the practical lesson? You can serve without loving, but you cannot serve without loving. You can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. Think about it. Let me give you an example. When I pastored the church in Osler, my wife and I had the privilege of pastoring this lovely church in, in Osler, Saskatchewan. And there was one lady who loved me so much, she was always bring me to the office bread and, and, and buns. And she was, she's probably destined to be the head baker in heaven. They were great. And she brought them to me. Why? Because she loved me. So you ask me, Pastor, what's the difference between works and service, works and labor? Well, the buns that she made were a gift to me. But the making of those buns and bread took service, took labor. Pounding out the dough, rolling the dough, putting it in the oven and baking it. Her love for me was laborious. I'd say to you this morning as another example, you may go to a restaurant right after church this morning. And if, when you go to that restaurant, a server will take, you to your, will take your order and bring your food. Not because she loves you, but because she's being paid. You are helping, she, she's being paid so you can serve without loving but you can't love without serving. You can't love without serving. I want to tell you, love can be hard. Love sometimes is not easy. Love can be painful. But if we say we have love, but aren't willing to serve the Lord, it's just a bunch of mush. You know what mush is? It's this Eskimo young man who said to his fiancée, his girlfriend, he said, I just drove over 50 miles through hail and snow and ice to tell you I love you. His fiancée said, wow, that's a lot of mush. <laughs> a few of you are getting it. 
The rest of you, when you lay your head down on the pillow tonight, you'll wake up laughing. But if we try to love people, or we say we love people, and we're not willing to serve the disenfranchised, we're not willing to serve the hurting, we're not willing to serve one another, it's just a bunch of mush. That's not what the church, that's not what Paul was trying to show this church. Think about it and read from, uh, from Jesus in, in John chapter 13. Think about this experience. Jesus, actually if you go to, uh, to uh, Dallas Theological Seminary in, in Texas, in their, in their campus they have this huge sculpture of Christ. And he is kneeling, he is kneeling at the feet of Simon Peter. And he is washing Simon Peter's feet. And the detail is amazing. You can see Simon Peter's feet are calloused with varicose veins and rough and dirty. And Jesus is washing his feet. Jesus is loving him by washing his feet along with the other disciples. John 13, Jesus tells of that story and he begins it with this. As he started watching his feet, he said, I have desired to show you the full extent of my love. I have desired to show you the full extent of my love. And he began to wash Peter's feet along with the other disciples. And then when he had finished that, I don't know how long it took, 24 dirty feet can take a while, and it can be laborious. And it can be intense. But when he finished, he said this. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. You see, love produces service. Love takes labor. Love takes labor. You see, people need the cleansing, refreshing hand of Jesus in their life. And a community of the Pentecost has that hands and feet of Jesus. I say to many people, when they say, well, I love my brother, I love my sister, when we talk about the Christian community, and I said, do you? Yes. My first question is, what are you doing for them? Because don't tell me you love Jesus. Don't tell me you love Jesus if you don't love your neighbor the way he loved them. Don't let us say as a church, we love Jesus. We love Jesus but we don't care about those around us who are hurting and disenfranchised and struggling, whether they be a believer or a non-believer. The truth, the truth is found in those two words, love and service. And finally, the fourth twins 
truths, hope and endurance. He said, hope and endurance. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These twins are named hope and endurance. And the practical lesson is hope is the power of the Holy Spirit for you to hold on and not quit. Hope is the instrument that God brings into our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can hang on and not quit. One of the strongest uh, temptations for Christians is to quit too soon. To quit too soon. Perhaps you've been struggling for a long time with a problem and you're sick and tired of keeping on and keeping on and keeping on. I say to you, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Hope is the key to us continuing. The official position of the Catholic Church, I believe even today, although I stand wrong, those of you who have uh, understanding of Catholicism, but I believe the, church of the, uh, the Catholic Church still believes that suicide is a mortal sin. And therefore, if you commit suicide, you have no chance for salvation. I say to you that Alice and I had a young man in our lives when we were new Christians. And he believed in the Lord Jesus. He believed in salvation. He professed with his mouth that Jesus was Lord. But life got too tough for him. Life became a struggle for him. Those were in the days when mental illness did not have the knowledge it has today. And it was too much for him. And he took his life. He took his life, and I begin to quickly recognize and be reminded that death doesn't end all things. Because his family members were left to deal with the grieving and the agony of that death. I tell you, my friends, life often seems like a in pain. But God's word tells us over and over again that we can maintain hope because hope produces endurance. You notice he doesn't say endure first and then hope. Trying to endure on your own is a lost cause. But when your hope is found in Jesus, when your hope is found in Jesus, that is his desire for you to be the person he wants you to be. It is his desire for this church to be the church he wants us to be. It is his desire that we as a community will become the community that he wants us to be. That is our hope. That is our hope. And because of that hope, we will endure. We will endure. Hope is a powerful tool. It is a powerful horse. Rabbi Mitch Harvitz tells a story how a New York City University, at a New York City uh, concert, a distinguished concert pianist suddenly became ill and could not continue. There was an old music teacher at the college nicknamed Herman 
who rose from the audience and walked on stage. Herman sat down at the piano and with great mastery completed the performance. At the party after the concert, a faculty member asked Herman how he was able to play that difficult piece from memory with such great skill. Here was his response. In 1939, when I was a budding concert pianist, I was arrested and placed in a Nazi concentration camp. To put it mildly, he said, my future looked pretty bleak. But I know that in order to keep the flicker of hope alive, that I might someday play again, I needed to practice every day. So he drew a keyboard on the plank of boards that he slept on. And each night, he would on that keyboard begin to play his repertoire. Every night. So that his whole repertoire was being played every night. And he went on to say, it so happened that that piece tonight is one I played while I was incarcerated. And he wanted to say, every day my hope was renewed that I would one day be able to play my music again on a real piano and in freedom. It was hope that kept him alive. And it is hope in Jesus that will keep our faith alive in Jesus. That he does have something for us. He does have something for you, for me. And he wants us to fulfill that something. So our hope is found in Jesus. I love this picture. Maybe I don't. I've never mastered this thing yet. I love this picture. Two kittens hanging on for dear life. And I think sometimes when we're believers and the world is crashing in around us, that's how we feel. We're hanging on to Jesus for dear life. But the truth is, my friends, you're really not hanging on to Jesus. He's hanging on to you. He is hanging on to you. And he won't let go. He won't let go. Are you tempted to give up? Don't do it. You may be in a bad situation and you don't know how you're going to make it. Hang in there. Hang on. Don't give up. Often we give up way too early. I close with this poem I read. Maybe you'll find yourself in here. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have only to sigh, when care is pressing you, do, you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't quit. Life is hard with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have one when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned upside down, the silver tint of clouds of doubt. As you never can tell how, you clo <coughs> how close you are, 
It may be nearer when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. The Church of the Pentecost, a community of the Pentecost, does not quit. As believers in Christ, let us understand the theological truth as we go through this book. The, tin tr the twin truths, grace and peace, faith and works, love and labor, hope and endurance. You see, that is what Paul is saying is the foundation for the true church. But sometimes we kind of roll them over and we think the second twin is better than the first and we miss the mark. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your teaching. I pray, Father, that as we move forward, in the direction and in the pathway that you have for us as a church. As we seek your will for Ryan and Natalie, if they might become part of our team according to your will, according to your plan, make that unfold, Holy Father, in a wonderful way. And Father, as our staff and as our, as our members of our, our church, as we begin to set visions for ourselves and dream dreams for ourselves, let us do so according to your will that you might lead us. And may we study as we go through this study, learn that hope, hope is the greatest word of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Feel free to stand and join us for our last song. Lost or saved, find the way. Let the sound of your great name Love condemned, feel no shame Let the sound of your great name Every fear has no place Let the sound of your great name the enemy he has to leave let the sound of your great name jesus worthy is the lamb that was slain for us son of god and you are high and lifted up And all the world will praise your great name 